Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 485 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre and your host. We talk about all things to do with the world of writing and publishing and how to succeed as an author or writer. So what have you guys been up to this week? I am about to go and see Top Gun in gold class, which is a huge treat for me, not just because it's gold class and I intend to order all the food, but because I hardly ever go to the movies these days. But you know, as cheesy and cliched as Top Gun might be, I don't care. I remember when the original movie came out and it was so huge at the time and I'm going for all those nostalgic reasons. Also a side note, It stars Miles Teller as the son of Goose, which is Anthony Edwards' character in the original movie. And Miles Teller, the young guy, was one of the was in one of the best films I saw last year and I could not stop telling everyone about it. It's called Whiplash and it was probably made around 2016, but I was just late to the party. I discovered it by accident. And it's about a young drummer played by Miles Teller, who goes to a prestigious music school and works with an incredibly demanding teacher. And it makes you think about what's okay when it comes to how far you can go being demanding of someone who you know just has more potential to fulfill. It's an incredible film if you get the chance to see it, and no doubt very different to Top Gun. Anyhow... I also wanted to let you know about a fantastic event that we've got coming up and it's open to you and it's free one night only and it's taking place via Zoom on Thursday the 16th of June. Thursday the 16th of June at 7.30pm Sydney Melbourne time. So it's our free creative coaching event and we have on our panel two fantastic authors, Leslie Gibbs and Pamela Freeman. Now this is a fantastic event called Writing for Children of All Ages. So if you're interested in writing children's books in any form or children's or YA, then you have to come to this information-packed event. You'll discover the features, the peculiarities, the expectations of picture books, chapter books, middle grade and young adult novels. So it's all about how to become a successful children's author and how to write differently for the different age groups. But also we're going to be chatting about the trends and opportunities in the children's and YA book industry. So this is a golden opportunity for you to get some inside knowledge from these fantastic children's authors. Leslie Gibbs, who writes picture books and chapter books, Pamela Freeman, who writes across all ages and is an award-winning children's author. So make sure you check it out. To find out more and to get your Zoom link so you can participate, go to writerscentre.com.au and look for special events. That's writerscentre.com.au and look for the button that says special events. This week's writing tip comes from a blog post on the Writer Centre website written by, of course, our very own Alison Tate, and it's the secrets of a great interview. Now, the first tip seems really obvious, but I've seen plenty of new writers forget to do it, and that is to listen. Yes, when you do an interview, you do need to listen. You might do an interview for a feature article or as part of research for a nonfiction book or or your novel even. Whatever the reason, you're there to learn something presumably, you know, to get information and words and ideas and insight from the other person. As Alison says, sometimes you can focus on what you think you want to know rather than on what the interviewee is saying. 
So make sure you do take a breath and listen to their actual answers to your questions. And that will give you the opportunity to ask relevant follow-up questions or to push them for more information. Things like, why? That's a great question. Or can you expand on that? There's nothing worse than listening back to your interview and realizing all the questions that you missed asking. Another good rule of thumb that Alison mentions in this post is to make sure your interviewee talks more than you do. (laughs) It can be tempting, especially if you're really interested in the topic, to demonstrate how much you know about the topic or how much research that you've done. But the point of the interview is to get information out of the other person, not to well, not to show off. (laughs) You want to get usable quotes or information from them. You can't use your own quotes, so make sure you let the interviewee finish their thoughts and sentences. You can find that post and many more free and useful resources on the Australian Writers' Centre blog at writerscentre.com.au slash blog. And now, are you ready for the word of the week? The word of the week is cloudland. Now, you might think that doesn't sound that unusual, but do you know what cloudland means? So a cloudland is a region of unreality or imagination, a dreamland. While digging around, I found this word in a book called The Soul of a Cat by Margaret Benson. And this is from the dedication of the book. O gracious creatures, tiny souls, you seem so near, so far away, yet while the cloudland round us rolls, we love you better every day. Margaret Benson was not just an author, by the way. She was, interestingly, one of the first women admitted to Oxford University and a famous Egyptologist known for excavations of the Mut complex in Egypt. And that was the word of the week, cloudland. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. Alrighty, let us move on to our writer in residence this week. Today I'm talking to Ray Cairns, the author of The Good Mother, and I'm so excited to talk to Ray about her journey to publication because this book, when she first wrote the manuscript, it, you know, got some interest from agents and publishers, but it didn't eventually work out, so she decided to indie publish or self-publish. So, in her self-publishing journey, she entered the Ned Kelly Awards, and then she was shortlisted, and it changed her life publishers came knocking and she ended up signing a two book deal with HarperCollins. So let's have a chat to Ray Cairns. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ray. Thanks so much for having me. I've been listening to your show for so many years. So it's really (laughs) exciting to be here. I'm so excited to see what's happening with your novel, The Good Mother. Oh, I mean, apart from talking about the book, and, and the story and how you, you know, 
thought of this story in the whole writing process, I want to also talk about your journey to publication. But first, let's just, for readers who haven't got a copy of the book yet, can you tell us what it's about? Yep, certainly. It's a thriller about Sarah Calhoun. She's a divorced Australian mum of three who's keeping terrifying secrets from everyone she loves. Um, The story opens when her 16-year-old son, Riley, tells her that he's been selected to represent Australia at an international soccer camp in Dublin, and she refuses to let him go. Um, So that's when her ex-husband steps in and insists they allow their son to follow his dreams. Riley heads off. But his arrival through Irish customs triggers two men from Northern Ireland to hunt Sarah down. One's an obsessive policeman who's determined to uncover secrets he believes she's buried since her time working as an aid worker during Troubles Era Ireland. And the other is an IRA executioner who threatens the lives of her children unless she does exactly as he says. Now, to give readers um, and listeners some context. Can you just, before we, and before we unpack the story, can you give us just a little bit of a potted career history to this point so far? Um, so I have a degree in performing arts. I, uh, my first job, I was 18 months old. I did a shampoo commercial and I was on the <laughs> bottles and stuff. You've got and great then- hair. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, Kind of through my teenage years, I did a lot of performing. I um, was in the Sydney team of Young Talent Time and I did. I went to the Conservatorium of Music out of hours and I studied, of all things, classical and opera, which I didn't really understand, but I did it. Um, then I did my degree in performing arts, got to the end of it and went, ah, uh, I think I'm done. Oh, my God! I don't want to perform anymore. Yeah. Um, and I knew I wanted to do something working with young people, wasn't sure exactly what, looked at social work, looked at youth work. So I uh, went over to Northern Ireland um, with international volunteers abroad, just thought I'd put my toe in the water and see, and you had to go to a first world country before you could go anywhere else. So they sent me to Northern Ireland in the middle of the Troubles. Mm-hmm. Um and I took, um, well, the first camp I was in Cross McGlen and I had um, young people. Cross McGlen is was like the centre of the IRA during the Troubles. Um, there was a great big military base there and it was predominantly Catholic. And so my job was just to kind of open up the kids' eyes a bit to the world outside of Cross McGlen um and play games and do sport do music so I did that and then um I was offered a position uh through the European Union in Belfast to take Protestant and Catholic children well children of the paramilitaries basically of the IRA and the UVF away on camps together so they could meet for the first time um and that was my job there and then I came back and ran a refuge so I was there Northern Ireland for about a year Came back, ran a refuge for street kids in the inner city, um, and then I worked for the Sydney Olympics. And then I had my own children, and my husband's a pilot, and he travels a lot, so I stayed home with them. And so, when did you think I'm going to become an author? <laughs> um, look, the story stayed with me. The story was with me, kind of from when I worked in Northern Ireland. I'd As in this story. Yeah, like that's the spark of it. So I'd actually had, um, I was dating a guy over there 
um, when I got to Belfast and it was it was uh, very early days and he was wooing me and, I don't know, they're so charming, the music <laughs> and the dancing and everything, and I was mid-20s and pretty naive. Um, and then an acquaintance let it slip that he, my boyfriend was actually a um, paramilitary, a member of a paramilitary organisation. So I broke it off with him and worked the rest of the year and got on with things. But it kind of always stayed with me that what if I hadn't found out his allegiances early on in the relationship? Like when would I have found out and how? And was the relationship even real? And and and, and also kind of over the years, what would happen if we bumped into each other today, I guess? Yes. So there was all that kind of brewing in the background of my head. And then about eight years ago, I um, sent my youngest off to high school um and or, or, no he was year six but anyway um and I wanted to kind of get the story out it was like in my brain it was demanding to come out and I wasn't wow. initially sure whether it would be through a play or through writing but when I sat down it just poured out in novel form and I just wanted to get it on the page and until then I had boxed up everything about Northern Ireland like I literally came home put all my photos letters diaries under the bed and all my emotions and all my memories and just left them there. So it was a process of bringing those out and drawing on them and using them as a springboard. So the first draft took eight months um, and then, yeah, I went on to do a lot more drafts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about, since we're touching on that, the journey to publication because this has had such an, this book, this story has had such an interesting path so tell us what happened after you did that you know eight months um yeah what happened after that tell us about the journey of this (laughs) all right um so I had the opportunity once I finished it to share it with Mark Lamprell who is a writer director producer um and he told me he loved the story um he liked the characters and he thought my dialogue was was pretty good but he's thought I needed to improve my writing skills. <laughs> he said it very nicely. It's <laughs> very, very true. Very, very right. So what happened when you were happy with your story? Okay. From that manuscript, I got an agent um, who was really enthusiastic and, you know, talks, of, oh, there might be a bidding war. It was all, everything had been so positive and exciting and everything. And then it was, she sent it out to publishers and there was nothing. <laughs> absolutely nothing how did you feel um look it it was reality check Mm. you know I had been up to that point had so much positive support these two amazing mentors got an agent really you know really easily and she was really positive so I think it was a reality check but I made the decision to dig in I I I knew that manuscript needed more work. I just didn't know what it needed. Um, So, and neither did my agent. So we kind of um, parted ways, but it was all very amicable. Mm. Um, And I put it in for a manuscript assessment. I paid for a manuscript assessment. And that was incredible. It was detailed and it was very much looking at it for publishing. Um, So looking at that point, I hadn't, figured out, I mean, I knew it was crime, I knew it was a thriller, but I hadn't really figured out commercial fiction. Like I just didn't know where it fit. So right. 
really worked on um, narrowing it down into commercial fiction, um, the pacing, the, you know, um, the characters, the ending. There was a whole heap of things that changed with the manuscript appraisal. Um, and from that, I got another agent, um, which was brilliant and exciting and amazing. And um, she put it out to publishers. And this time there was a little bit of interest, some nibbles, and it, but it didn't get over the line. And then I um, was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And for two years I was so unwell. I had a reaction to the medication they put me on. My hair fell out. I couldn't oh, think a sentence, let alone write one. So mm. for two years I, it all went on the back burner. <clears throat> And then when I got the medication that worked and, and was back at it and ready to jump back in, um, I contacted my agent. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm closing my agency. Oh, no. <laughs> and at that point I went, maybe this is the universe telling me that this just doesn't, shouldn't be out in the world. It needs to go in a drawer. And um, so I sat with that for a little bit. And my amazing writing group, I'm a member of the Inkies writing group with Joanna Nell and Pamela Cook and Penelope Janu. Mm. All wonderful. Amazing, writers. amazing women. And mm. they just said it needs to see the light of day. Like it deserves to be read. It might not get read by many, but it, you know, are you, would you be prepared to do the work to put it out there? And I thought about it and did a bit of research and decided that, yeah, I'm going to apply the work ethic I had on creating the manuscript, the many drafts and making it better and improving it and digging in to the publishing process. So I spent, that was in February 2020, I made mm. that decision, and I spent the next nine, ten months learning about the publishing industry. I did courses. I learned everything from formatting to how Amazon works to publicity <laughs> to marketing to I got a professional, I got my manuscript professionally edited um, and I got a, employed a professional cover designer. And in December 2020, I put the manuscript out there. I, I mean, I put the book out the book. there and, mm. and published it. Um, and it in the middle of a pandemic. I think that was that was just yeah it was actually wasn't it? <laughs> it was like yeah I had I had to have a staggered launch at that point yeah. I didn't understand how that worked but yeah mm -hmm. so um, I put it out but I was really lucky I had um, the Australian writing community is very supportive unbelievable mm -hmm. they were so supportive of me so they kind of put it out there and it got read by people who I didn't know because initially you know you you self publish and you're like. You know the fact it's, 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 you know, you're lucky if you sell 100 copies and that's usually family and friends. <laughs> um, so I was lucky to have the support of the writing industry um, and I got a couple of high-profile reviews and then I managed to get one in the Sunday Telegraph, which was amazing for uh, an indie author. Um, and then in the February uh, 2021, uh, Belinda Publishing contacted me um, and said that a sight-impaired lady had contacted them and wanted the audio, wanted to listen to the book. And um, so they read a copy and then they offered me an audiobook contract. And that, so the audiobook came out in June and I was like, oh, that's the pinnacle. It's, you know, <laughs> I'm hybrid now, you know. Yeah. Wow. And I was ready to move on and was, you know, starting getting into the next book and, and stuff. And then in the July, um, 
a friend contacted me and said, oh, congratulations. And I said, what? I said, oh, you've been shortlisted for best debut in the Ned Kelly Awards. So and, fantastic. And I was like, no, you've made a mistake. <laughs> you know, I knew I'd entered, but there's no way self-published book up against the amazing debuts that came out that year. Yeah. But then I checked and it, and it, it was. And yep. that mm. shortlisting changed my life. Um, wow. Two weeks later, I had another agent who was incredible. And a week after that, I had a two-book deal with HarperCollins. So the agent came to you? Um, I approached, I was inundated. So when the, I got right. the shortlisting, my inbox just went nuts. I was Fantastic. all the different rights and people I'd never heard of contacting me. And, and I just, I, I went to the inkies and I went, ah, oh, this is just, I don't know how to manage this. And they said, you need an agent. So right. I contacted um, two agencies and made a decision and um, I'm thrilled to have gone with Cameron's there. And Jean, she's amazing. Um, and yeah, a week later, she had me a two book deal with HarperCollins. So Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you got the two, so that you got the two book deal with HarperCollins in around mid, so around July ish, July it's August, August, I guess. yeah, yep. August twenty twenty one. Yeah, and obviously the book was ready to go. Did they suggest any further edits? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which was great. That was actually part of the process. Was them asking me, you know, are you prepared to work on it? Are you prepared to? Um, you know, finesse it for a wider audience. Um, so, yeah, I, I did really solid edits. Um, what kinds of things did they want changed? Um, they wanted me to add some more, like they wanted more to it. There was some characters that I really um, drew out even more. Every step of the process, um, Sarah's father, Max, has become more and more and more. Everybody wanted more of him. So I did that. But there's about 10,000 new words. Mm. And I lost 5,000 words. So, mm -hmm. um, and there's new scenes and drawing even more of the Northern Ireland conflict out. Mm. Um, yeah, it was an incredible process working. And how long did that take the editing process then? So, oh, when did I edit in? I don't know. I mean, I think I worked on it. I think they had, I had like, two weeks for the initial one and then another, I, then I had an edit after that. So I had the edit with my acquiring editor yes. and then I had an editor, an another editor um, at HarperCollins and then I had a proofreader. So I okay. did three yep. more edits. Wow. Um, this is the most edited book I, I've <laughs> never edited again. I shouldn't say that. But but it's because each time I wanted it to, I, I want it to be the best it can be. And, yes. And it's, you know, each step even you're learning each step of the process that's what you do you get it so to that level. obviously it was totally worth it to enter the Ned Kelly Awards <laughs> I, I just and it was a whim like I just <gasps> put it in I didn't even know if you actually could with a self-published book right but I just put it in I think that yeah that's been a thing along the way I've just kind of grasped opportunities and met people and I don't know. I, yes. I'm so glad That's, I entered it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So obviously this book had been cooking for a while and you mm -hmm. had it ready to go. I mean, it required some edits, but it, 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 you had it ready to go. But you've signed a book, two-book deal. Mm -hmm. So 
uh, had you already when you signed it mm-hmm. were you had you already started the next book yeah or? I had I had it's a right. standalone thriller and I'd started that I was probably I was about halfway um but then I realized I'd gone off on a you know totally wrong direction so I had to kind of go back and and re rework it um so I'm about to hand that book into HarperCollins right and when's that due to come out uh next year so right. 2023 so the book um is in present the, the story is in present day but it also has scenes from the past yes, from Sarah's um younger life mm-hmm. did you um how did you go about writing that did you just do it in a linear fashion or did you work out the story, you know, two kind of timelines, so to speak, and then intersperse them? Yeah, look, I I knew there were certain scenes that, that were uh, pivotal in Sarah's story in her past that that events in today would trigger, if that makes sense, and, and that that would be a way of kind of revealing the backstory and the most effective way of doing that was actually placing readers in her shoes, in her, because it's all written from her point of view. And I wanted that very narrow um, perspective for the reader so that they, they weren't quite sure what was actually going on and what was she, I mean, at the beginning, you know, is she unreliable? Mm. Is she this anxious, overbearing <laughs> helicopter mom, or does she have reasons? So I, wrote those scenes as um, kind of in a capsule of their own and then when I then I wrote the story um, that the, the, the today parts and then it was a way of finding how to link them and the best moments to link them and I used a lot of mm. sensory stuff because that's how a lot of my memories are triggered like even today if I hear a helicopter I'm back in Northern Ireland so I was trying to use those ideas that that's how memory goes, but rather than it being a memory, placing the reader in the situation. Mm. So now that you are, so you've got your uh, debut novel out, it's won awards, it's going amazingly, you're, at, you're, you're writing your next novel, you're at the tail end of that. Tell me about your typical day, like when you're writing. So while mm-hmm. you've been writing this second novel, mm-hmm. tell me about your typical day. Like, do you have a writing routine to get into it? Do you have a a goal, a, a word count goal? Do you have um, a special mug that you have to drink yeah. your coffee out of? <laughs> yeah, I've got to have a cup of tea. <laughs> um, I go for a walk. Well, first of all, I get the kids sorted off. Um, off and then I go for a walk with the dog and just kind of, think about the story sometimes I'll ha- I'll play a song or a playlist if, if there's something that I think will get me into that frame Do you of have mind. a playlist for this for, for, for the, the next that you're one writing? Yes. yeah yeah I do just ah. kind of I don't know I don't always use it but sometimes it helps yes and then I, hang on I gotta ask is the playlist are the s- songs and music on it um the kind of songs and music that would be in the story or are of the ear of the story or are they just things to get you motivated and going? Right. Okay. So <laughs> I, I 
work very filmically. My brain works in a very filmic manner. So I would say that would be kind of the score of the story. Yeah, Does right. That make sense? Yes. So absolutely. even when I'm writing, I'm very I think it's probably the performing arts background. Yes, yes. But I'm very filmic. I see the the, the scenes in my head. Mm. Um yeah. So I I think yeah, so I sit down um after that and the, the day before, I will always leave kind of a what's going to happen next, what's the next scene, the next motivation, what, what, she want, what does this character want next? So um, how long do you write for each day? Look, it's changed a little bit with the RA because I used to be 9am at my desk, bang, and I could sit there till five and you know have lunch but now I can't do that as much and sometimes I can't type so I've got to be a bit more flexible and use dragon which is a voice so I have to be it slowed me down because of it but that's just the process I have to do now um so I will sit down I need to get 3,000 words done wow that's heaps (laughs) <laughs> that's that's first draft. Yes, sure. And then and then yeah, working through. So obviously, I, at the moment, I've done that, and I'm working through my edits, and and that's so a little more. Three thousand words, in spite of your rheumatoid arthritis, that's amazing. Wow. Well, I do it over a day. Like yeah, so sure. Up but and still, down. And, really. <laughs> I, well, you know, hey, let's be honest. There are some days that that just doesn't happen through sure. life and through. Um, <laughs> inspiration not inspiration but you know making it work you get to a point and you go oh yeah. I'm stuck where does this go but I don't know I've really learned to enjoy those moments mm. as well when you get stuck so tell me about um <clears throat> do you have a hard stop or do you just keep writing I mean you've you've got family responsibilities and stuff mm. like that so do you, you know, some writers, they just really want to do it at night or they, they want to edit at night. Do you, I don't, what's your routine like? I don't work work well at night. No, I'm, um, I I used, used to be even more of a morning person before the RA. Now I need a few hours for my joints to start working, Mm. but, um, and my brain to start working because I get a lot of fog brain. Um, but yeah, the daytimes are better hours for me. So, um, I mean, look, there are times when I don't get it done and and that frustrates me, but I will then kind of shuffle around the next days, you know, and try and and get it. I don't know, the routine helps me, I find. If I just get touchy in each day and have that routine, everything flows better Mm. and everything clicks better together. If you've had any time away, like I I had a flare a few months ago and I was really I couldn't work again. And it took me two weeks to get really back into the flow. Mm. Um, so that I think is part of why I just want try to keep that routine going. That's what works for me. But I've sure. always been a routine person. So, so yeah. with, um, with this book and uh, so with The Good Mother but also the book that you're writing at the moment, do you know where the story is going? Do you know what's going to happen or do you discover it as you write it? I discover it as I, I, okay, so I know the very end point, yes. Oh, you do know the ending. I have a picture of that. Well, do I know the ending? I have a picture of a scene for both these books. I've had a picture of the climax scene in my head. Okay, yep. I don't know what happens in that scene. 
but I, I've got a picture oh. of it. And it's, it's a visual. That's unusual. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> just the way. I think, again, comes back to film. I don't know. Mm. Um, but the rest of it is just what on earth. I, I, my husband puts up with me going, you're not going to believe what she did today. You know? <laughs> and I love that. That's so fun, that kind of waking up and realising your brain's sorted out things in the night and putting it down on the page and discovering directions the character goes that you weren't expecting. Uh, I love that. Um, yeah. As far as planning, I think I, the other characters I bring in are very much they have to have a, a, a role within the story that is kind of gives an opportunity as a magnifying glass to the main character. Um, and when I say magnifying glass, I mean on her ghosts and wounds and weaknesses. Like mm. who can I bring in that's going to press all her buttons? Mm. And so then- speaking of characters, though, the um, I mean, we'll just take Sarah because she's the main character. She's the protagonist. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, it is told from Sarah's point of view. It's it's told in, I mean, it's told in close focus mm-hmm limited third person uh, from Sarah's point of view. Yeah. Um, uh, it means you obviously need to get to know Sarah extremely well mm. and, and some of the other characters extremely well. What do you do in terms of characterization to get to know your characters extremely well? Like, do you think about it for a really long time? Or again, do you discover the character? As I you discover write? the character. Sarah really? just poured out. Honestly, right. she just poured out. Um, and I find I probably I do use some of my acting background as far as mm. in, in the dialogue. I sometimes will talk out the dialogue and and mm. I block out the scene like you would on stage and things like that. You mean physically, as in you physically stand up? get up? I'll come with my poor husband. I'll say, wow. well, you stand there. <gasps> I just need to see how this works, really." And yeah, so. Um, wow. I guess I, yeah, I draw on that. Um, and the character stuff is the same that I used in acting. You, you, every scene there is a, a, a motivation and it's an outward mm. motivation. And it, I mean, I remember we did, um, when I was doing my degree, we were doing a Shakespeare scene and um, I was a failure and, and Hamlet was mm. told, and he said, I just want you to peel an orange while you're doing the scene. And it was really weird, but it took all the emphasis off the, the language and the performing and everything and just really focused. All Hamlet wanted to do was peel an orange and Ophelia was kind of in the way. It was it was a really, it taught me, it no, probably wow. doesn't make sense, but it taught me that you've got to have a, a, an outward, even if it's putting the washing on or yes, getting the kids yes. to soccer training or whatever. And everything else that happens and the internal needs and wants causes the rest of the. the yes, yes. Complexity. Angela Slater calls it Tuesday bin night. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because that's life, isn't it? Yes. And yes. whatever's happening, whatever drama's happening, we all need to eat, we all need to sleep, <laughs> we all need to get on with things. So, yeah, um, I guess that's how I approach mm. characters. What was the most challenging thing about writing this book? Um, Drawing on the experiences in Northern Ireland, I think, but genuinely drawing on them. So like I said, I I had put them under my bed. I'd just 
nobody knew. My, my family have only, like my mum's only heard the stories about things that I dealt with over there since I released the book. I, it wasn't something I talked Ooh. about. Well, it just, it was done. As far as I was yeah, concerned, I'd finished sure. and put it away. Um, so it's this, there's like, there's a riot scene in the book that was the hardest one to write because mm, to mm. do it authentically, I had to draw on those kind of sensory memories and the emotional memories of being in that situation. Um, it's a little different in the book, but it, it, I drew on it. Yes. Um, so I guess you can kind of, you can do research, but then sinking into that next level of mm. actual emotional impact, I guess mm. that was the hard, hardest thing. So the emotions, the themes, the core of this story is obviously based on something that was deeply personal to you that actually happened to you that you experienced that you know was was in your life you know the the vibe well, the, the, the feeling spark, the spark. yeah that's right but but it was ba- it was rooted in something that that happened to you you know yeah, yeah, it, it, the, the vibe and feeling yeah the second book was that also because I mean you obviously had a lot of emotion to draw on and a lot of that sensory stuff to draw on for the first book. Mm. Is the book you're writing now has that uh, been? Is it steeped in anything? It's it's not steeped in something within my own life, but again, I've done a lot of research. Um, it and it's again about an everyday person, but in an extraordinary circumstance, which because that's what really interests me. Someone that mm. doesn't have. The skills, they're not a police officer, they're not, a, um, you know, ex-CIA or whatever. They just are an ordinary person thrown in the deep end mm. and, and what that can, gives you a chance to bring out within their character, like what is at the core mm. of their character. Um, so I, I've used that in this second one. And, again, it's using the acting because the emotions and the so it's it's a the second book op- is a, um, opens with a budding journalist getting a phone call from her sister who's terrified um, trapped in the boot of a moving car mm. and the story kind of springboards from there but mm. it's about family and it's about the impact of somebody missing on family and, mm. and um, you've mentioned. Uh- your wonderful writing group, you know, mm-hmm. which is was a which is was self formed writing group, yes. um, with people like Joanna Nell, who we love, and Penelope Janu, uh, Michelle Barraclough, Barraclough, yes, you know, amazing, wonderful, all alumna of the Australian Writers Centre, <laughs> um, Pamela Cook, Cook, who's one of our teachers. Um, <sighs> tell me about the what the writing group has done for your writing. We and what makes an effective writing group? Oh, okay. Well, I <laughs> think well. I think being prepared to share your work for a start, because yes, that's an act of bravery in itself. Mm. We always have each other's back, ups or downs, and we've all been through them. We've all had incredible things and and really challenging times. Um, we're honest with each other in our feedback, but not. Brutal, <laughs> but but also pretty direct. Like it's, but I, I suppose the thing is the motivation behind it. Mm. Each, uh, it's it's an incredible group of women. Everybody wants everyone else to succeed. Yes, there's and and there's enough room. We all kind of have that belief. There's enough room for us all, so we're not competing against each other. We're working yes. together. So, 
you know, at my launch, it was a celebration of all of us got us got this book over the line. Um, <laughs> but we help each other across the board from, you know, with our writing, absolutely, sharing work, giving constructive feedback, um, but through to um, marketing, publicity, how on earth social media works. I mean, they've <laughs> taught me 100% how social media works. Um, uh, yeah, it's it. But I think an effective writing group, it's about your intentions. I think you have to. Mm. And the regularity. I mean, we meet every two weeks, even through lockdowns. We did Zooms and we're also on a WhatsApp group and we chat, every, like we say stuff every day. And it will. Yeah. we also hold each other accountable like did you do your words today kind of brilliant um and finally now I have no doubt this is just going to be go amazingly well it's I'm seeing it everywhere I'm seeing reviews everywhere tell us what are your top three tips for aspiring writers who would like to be in a position where you are one day be brave Mm mm-hmm to start with, with that very first draft, take the risks, go further than you think you need to because you can always pull back, but also be brave in other areas. When you go to a writing conference, as hard as it is, talk to that person next to you because that's how you make connections, that's how you learn. Um, Go and do courses. Uh, Yeah, brave, I guess. Enter competitions. Mm. the next one, that kind of leads to the next one, which is embrace feedback. Mm. Feedbacks, when you first start writing, it is so confronting and you want to defend your work. Yeah. Like, it, well, that was my natural reaction. I wanted to feel, oh, but I tell you that in Chapter 4, but, you know. Yeah. Um, now I really enjoy getting feedback. I enjoy the problem-solving aspect of it. Like if someone says, I don't understand why this person did that, then my job is to make sure that they do. It doesn't mean I've got to do it the way they might want me to, but I have to answer that question. That's always my, I've got to answer the question somehow. And sometimes mm. it's one word or two words. It's really strange. Yes. But I love that, that you, you know, eureka moment where you go, oh, that's how I'm going to do that. Um, so, yeah, embrace feedback. Um, and then with character, I think keep in mind that every character needs to be fully fledged, even the minor ones, because every one of them is the hero of their own story. Mm. So that makes Brilliant. sense. So I love it. I think that that if you can do that, it, it makes it real. They're real people. <laughs> I love it. Well, congratulations on this fantastic novel and Thank can't you. wait to read the next one. Thank you so much for your time today, Ray. Thanks so much for having me, Valerie. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our hugely popular course, How to Write About Murder, is all about creating more authentic action for your crime or thriller novel. Presented by award-winning crime author Candace Fox, this course covers nine modules of fascinating detail, taking you beyond the police tape to explore what motivates killers and how they go about their business. You'll also immerse yourself in the chase, from the murder scene and autopsy to the investigation that follows. Plus, because it's one of our on-demand courses, you'll get instant access and learn at your own pace with 12 months access to all course materials. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash murder course.
I hope you enjoyed my chat with Ray Cairns. Now, while we are on the theme of crime, here's a fun fact for you. Agatha Christie, the famous and prolific crime author, would get her plot ideas, are you ready for this? Sitting in the bath. In an interview, she said, years ago, I got my plots in the tub, the old fashioned rim kind, just sitting there thinking, undisturbed and lining the rim with apple cores. So she used to eat apples in the bath. She also came up with plots while doing tedious things like washing the dishes or going for the walk, which we've mentioned lots of times before because that is when your subconscious starts to work and sometimes that's where the flashes of brilliance come about. So, so go have a bath, go for a walk or do the dishes. Now let's move on to our giveaway this week. This is really cool. We have three copies of Anna to give away. Now the Anna in question is Anna Wintour, the iconic publishing doyen of Condé Nast, uh, editor of Vogue. Um, This book, Anna, the biography, is by Amy O'Dell. It's described as the definitive biography of Anna Wintour that follows the steep climb of an ambitious young woman who would, with singular and legendary focus, become one of the most powerful people in media. Now, you kind of got the fictionalized version, like a thinly veiled memoir in uh, The Devil Wears Prada, of course, but uh, Amy O'Dell, who's a journalist, has done extensive interviews with Anna's closest friends, collaborators, the biggest names in fashion. And I know that a lot of people in the publishing industry and those who are interested in the kind of ascension that Anna Winter has had and the longevity she's had in her career are really keen to read this book. So you could win one of three copies. Just go to writerscentercomau slash win. Entries close on the 13th of June. That's writercenter.com.au slash win. And don't worry if you're listening to this podcast episode in the future. If you go to that URL, there'll be some other fantastic competition for you to enter. Enjoy. Anna by Amy O'Dell. This is where I leave you for this week. Apart from going to Top Gun tonight, I'm off to find my winter clothes because the cold has definitely sit in where I'm living and I'm sure for many other listeners too. I'm also looking forward to my travel writing class which starts this week and is full because travel is clearly back on the agenda and people are keen to get back into it. The classes haven't started yet, they're about to this week and one student from that class has already secured a famil. If you're not sure what a famil is, that's short for a familiarization tour where you basically get an all expense paid trip to your destination. So very excited for the people who are in that class because, yep, it shows you that it's all back and happening. All right. If you're going to connect with me on social media, I'd love to connect with you. Just go to at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. You can check out what I'm doing at ValerieKoo.com, but also, of course, make sure you check out the show notes and everything that's going on with the Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions, and much more.